Hello and welcome to the Collectability Podcast. My name is Tanya Edwards and I am hosting this episode with Rebecca Ross, Vice President, Head of Sales of Watches at Christie's Auction House here in New York City. This will be a two-part podcast and today we, in this first part, we will talk about how Rebecca got entrenched in the world of watches. We'll talk about some early auctions that she was involved with at Christie's and then the all-important upcoming auctions in Hong Kong and, of course, New York. First of all, before we get started, I would like to give a brief biography of Rebecca. Rebecca joined Christie's watch department in 2014 and after achieving a master's degree from Christie's education specialising in history of art and the art market. She joined the watch department as an intern and has quickly achieved a highly respected and successful career in the watch auction world. Rebecca has a job that many of our listeners are going to envy, I have a feeling. She travels around the world, treasure hunting the rarest timepieces to add to numerous Christie's auctions here in New York and also around the world. She also manages client wish lists on a private sales basis. As head of sale, she has been responsible for offering some of the most recognisable timepieces in New York auction history. Her important watches live auction in June 2022 totaled over $21 million, setting a record for the highest total ever for a timepiece auction at Christie's New York. Rebecca Holes a degree in classical civilization from the University of Leeds in our hometown, United Kingdom, and was awarded a certification from the Fondation de Haute Horologie in fine watchmaking. She lives in New York with her husband and young son. Welcome, Rebecca. Well, thank you very much. That was uh, quite the introduction. <laughs> um, it's it's really a pleasure to be here with you, Tanya. Thank you so much oh, for having me. Well, you are so welcome. And it's our pleasure to host you, I have to say, because this is a crazy busy time for you. We're on the cusp of the big auction season. And anyone who's interested in watches knows that coming up in the next few weeks, we've got major important auctions in Hong Kong yes. and yours in December in New York. Exactly. So we have an awful lot to talk about today, but let's get started with you. I'm always interested where this passion, or some people might call it an incurable illness, <laughs> for watches comes from. Where did your early interest in watches get ignited? My interest really started in the home. I grew up in uh, northwest London. I'm the youngest of four children. And in my household was plenty of art and sculpture, furniture, bits and bobs that my mum and dad would buy at auction houses, Christie's catalogues sort of strewn all over the house. Oh, how wonderful. Um, it really was uh, fantastic in the way that I grew up with such um, marvellous works of art around me. Mm. And then, of course, my father had a small box in his room full of watches. Oh, um, He was a collector. He wasn't the biggest collector, but he had a variety of brands and complications. And he was just so excited to talk about them that we would find ourselves sitting at the kitchen table or on the end of the bed just talking about them and really looking at them. How fabulous. And we would kind of talk about them in the same breath as art, you know. So we studied them in the same way and... 
And that's really my earliest memories of the passion for watches. Oh, gosh. Well, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful start. Now, from there, you took something of an academic path into Christie's by achieving, as I mentioned earlier, a master's degree from Christie's education. And you specialised in history of art and the art market. And obviously, we all know you didn't go into the art market, but you came to watches. And I wonder, has this knowledge of art, how has it helped your career in watches? And I wonder if you take a different approach as a specialist when you look at a piece mm. and maybe... Perhaps you see things that other specialists might not see in a watch. Yeah, a great question. First of all, the master's degree was invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend anybody to do it. It was an intense 15-month master's degree. Again, as you say, you know, history of art and the art market. I didn't even know that Christie's had a watch department when I was doing this master's degree. Because <laughs> they didn't a, mention it. They didn't mention it, really. <laughs> no, <funny> that. <laughs> no, because, you know, the art department sort it's of so took huge. precedence. Yes, of course it did. Um, yeah. Um, And we also had enough to learn in 15 months um, with art alone. Mm. But it definitely trained my eye Mm -hmm. in a way that I would look at art much like I look at watches with extreme detail. And I look at watches in the way they are made, the sort of hand, sort of the touch of the watchmaker, in my opinion, is the same as the artist's hand. You know, the use of color the use of materials, and I kind of look at them simultaneously. So I definitely think that the degree in history of art helped me um, with the way that I look at watches. Yeah, for sure. That makes total sense because they are works of art. Yes. Truly, truly. And so what a wonderful background to enter this crazy, crazy world. Now, you've been at Christie's for almost 10 years. And what our listeners might not appreciate is that is an enormous achievement (laughs) because specialists move between the houses like chess pieces or a game of musical chairs. So you've really remained loyal to Christie's. And I wonder, what does loyalty mean to you in this business? Yeah, a whole decade at Christie's. Wow. Um, (laughs) Did you get a gold watch or something? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Um, But so there's two parts to my answer here. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, Christie's has given me a lot. It's given me an education. Mm -hmm. It's given me a profession that's allowed me to work in multiple different roles within one department. I've sort of either worked in that role or overseen that role. Uh, Anything from sale coordinator to manning the vault, which is a very important role to... (laughs) Do you stand outside? (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Club people away. Something like that. Um, To becoming a specialist, a junior specialist, and then sort of working your way up to being a VP now. So I don't take any of those opportunities for granted. And it's really laid the foundation for my career. And the other part of my answer is that the clients that a top auction house like Christie's have are extremely loyal to us. You know, they entrust us with parts of their lives, their memories. These watches are extremely sentimental some of the time. And it's only fair that I do my job in the best way possible for them. And I feel a great sense of responsibility to do that with loyalty. And I take 
a lot of pride in that. Well, so you should. And I think that, you know, you brought up a very important relationship, which is the client specialist relationship. And obviously, that's something that you've nurtured really well over these past 10 years. And I'm sure there are clients who have become good friends. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a lot of friends that are clients and a lot of the time the two intertwine. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Well, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that special relationship later on. But beforehand, I have a question from John Reardon, who is the founder of Collectability. (laughs) But you know John well, because for several years, he was your boss at Christie's. Is that right? He was my boss. And I have to say, one of the best bosses I've ever had. I will agree. A fantastic mentor and taught me really everything I know. Fabulous. How wonderful. Well, he has a very important question that he wants me to ask you today. Oh, dear. Which is, can you please talk about the 50 mile hike? Oh, the 50 mile hike. (laughs) Um, What on earth is the 50 mile hike? (laughs) Wow. It's quite a story. So the 50 mile hike was something that came about from a watch that we offered in 2017. It was a very important watch with fantastic provenance. So it was Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis Cartier tank. Wonderful. Um, and on the back of the watch was inscribed. And I, if I remember correctly, it said to Jackie from Stas. And then there was a time and it said 2.05 a.m. to 9.35 p.m. Hmm, intriguing. So it was intriguing. And of course, there was a story behind it. So as we dug deeper, we realized that the time referred to the start and stop time of a hike, 50 mile hike. Oh, my goodness. That Jacqueline didn't do, but her brother-in-law, Prince Stanislaw, or Stas, did with his friend Chuck and Jacqueline's Secret Service agent, Clint. Oh, (laughs) So the three of them embarked on a 50-mile hike in Palm Beach in 1963 because, and it goes back to when Roosevelt was in power, he actually commanded that the Marine Corps do a 50-mile hike to test their durability. Wow. Um, And then when JFK was in power... He did the same thing, but it sort of caught on to regular American citizens to take this test of endurance Mm -hmm. as a show of support, I suppose. So what better way to commemorate this auction than Christie's watch department also doing the 50 mile hike. I can't believe it. So we did. We got some family members to join. We made t-shirts and (laughs) I have to thank John so much for this because it brought the team so close together. Although we never made it 50 miles, not even close. um, We (laughs) actually only made it from one end of Central Park to the boathouse in the middle and that was it. Um, We gave it a good try. But you know, the moral is that it took us really deep into the provenance of the watch we were selling mm-hmm. and back to a time of real importance in American history, you know, back in 1963. And we did it as a team pre-auction and it was absolutely fantastic and one of the most memorable seasons. How wonderful. Yeah. I mean, that's really taking your job seriously, isn't it? <laughs> Experiencing what the owner or why a watch was given as a gift to sell in commemoration. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those important auctions from your early days at Christie's. Mm. And I'd like to start with the 175th anniversary of Patek Philippe, which was in 2014. And Christie's put together a very special auction of 100 Pateks mm. that it sold in Geneva in November of that year. And you presumably had just 
joined. Is that right? Correct. So what a baptism by fire. I mean, you must have just been thrown into the deep end. I mean, here is a very important brand only auction, which is high stakes at the best of times. Yes. For a very important reason. Yeah. Tell us about it. Um, It wasn't the easiest start, I've got to be honest. But like true auction flair, you just are thrown in at the deep end. Right. But in the most wonderful way possible. So I remember actually John gave me a very important task. One of like my first month that I was there for this sale, he said, look, there's a watch that belonged to William Boeing. And I want you to research it and write the essay for the lot. Mm -hmm. And I was just so floored that he would give me such an important task on my first month. But it was amazing. It was a reference 130. It was a single button chronograph specially made for William Boeing. And it was also retailed by Cartier. So it was very, very special so watch. So provenance was just everything thrown into it. It had everything. Yeah. It was a masterpiece. And I had the wonderful job of researching it and writing the essay. What fun. Yeah. So, you know, having that as my first experience, I was thrilled and I knew that I was in the right place. This is Rebecca Ross, and you're listening to my interview with Tanya Edwards for Collectability. Oh, that's wonderful. Because, I mean, it was a bit of a leap, wasn't it, coming from the art world to the watch world. So I love the fact that that auction helps you realise that you're in the right place. Oh, yeah. What an auction to start with. Oh, it's it's as good as it gets. Well, keeping in the theme of Patek's 175th anniversary, in 2017, Patek hosted its very special grand exhibition, The Art of Watches, here in New York City. Mm -hmm. And to tie in with that, Christie's put together a really interesting private sale of Patek Philippe timepieces. And it was on view at the same time as the exhibit. And I remember that because people were coming in from all over the world to go to the grand exhibition. And then they would come to Christie's just a few blocks down the road in the city. And here are exquisite Patek Philippe's for sale. Yes. And what I loved about that private sale was that there were pieces, really important vintage pieces. So you could go to the grand exhibition and see pieces from the museum. And then you could come to Christie's and buy pieces that could equally be put into a museum. They were so important. So what was it like to work on that exhibition? It was... I shouldn't say exhibition, I should say sale, sorry. Yeah, no, it was a dream. It was a real dream because you had, as you say, so many people coming directly from the museum, people that didn't really realize that Christie's could offer these for sale. Mm -hmm. So it opened up a lot of people's eyes Mm -hmm. to what Christie's can do, what we can source, what we can get. And that was fantastic because I think that we gained a lot more recognition through that auction. Certainly. As I said, there was extraordinary pieces that were for sale. And it was a bit like a party atmosphere because everyone was just so excited because the grand exhibition was mind blowing. And then you could come and actually hold a Patek, pick it up and decide whether or not you wanted to buy it. Yes. How did you source some of those pieces? 
Um, with great difficulty. I am sure. Yeah, no, but like you source watches for any auction, there's a few different ways to do it. We obviously have our private clients. We also have an estates and appraisals department at Christie's, which some people don't know about. So a lot of the estate sales get filtered through our estates and appraisals department. I personally travel a lot. I do a lot of events. I do a lot of what we call valuation days where you can come and bring your timepiece and understand its value in the current market. So there's various ways to source and it takes time too. I mean, it's a lengthy process. Well, I can imagine. And actually, that's a nice segue to another auction that happened, in fact, the year before in 2016, which was the 40th anniversary of Patek Philippe's Nautilus watch, which has now become an iconic timepiece. But in 2016, it wasn't necessarily an iconic timepiece. And it was a very interesting exercise by Christie's Mm -hmm. to put together 40 pieces, which is an enormous number of Nautilus watches, Mm -hmm. enormous, and then organise four different sales in Dubai, Geneva, Hong Kong, and New York. So it was an enormous undertaking. And it wasn't necessarily that long ago. We're talking about seven or so years ago, but so much has happened in that time. And I wonder, is it fair to say that that auction really shone a spotlight on the Nautilus and opened people's awareness of the Nautilus. Is that is absolutely that... no doubt about it? That was one of my favorite auctions. I mean, there's so many that we've done, but that definitely sticks out. Um, I think at that time there weren't that many thematic auctions mm-hmm, happening, mm-hmm. and not only was it a brand thematic auction, but it was a model thematic auction. I mean, finding so many variations of one model was. Remarkable. Remarkable. And I think the way that we rolled it out as well was extremely effective because we had 10 watches in each sale site. So you'd have 10 in Dubai and then people would have to wait for the 10 to come up in Geneva and then the 10 to come up in Hong Kong and then New York. So it really built momentum. So I think the execution was great. And certainly, I mean, even I didn't know how many variations there were Mm -hmm. of the Nautilus. So my eyes were opened in that way. And I think people saw what an iconic piece it was. I mean, and just how wearable it is. So certainly it was it was a pivotal moment. Really pivotal moment. Now, we've seen prices of Nautiluses go bananas. That's the only way I can say yes. it. Between those four auctions, mm. were, were there some prices that just blew you away? Well, yeah, there was a 3,700 Kanjar, mm-hmm. which I think made just under 200,000, if I'm not mistaken. Which must have been... A mind-blowing it sum. It was humongous that, sum. At that time. Yes. Although I, now we take that for granted. For yes, now it's we? normal. Yeah, um, but certainly not then. No, that was mind-blowing. And also it was the Dubai leg of the sale, so it was one of the first. So that so it set the tone. Wow. Yeah, it absolutely How exciting. set the tone. But it's funny because some, you know, even since then have jumped so far. Like there was my favourite of the Nautilus auction was a 3800 in steel. Mm-hmm which is one of my favourite references. Yes, it's just gorgeous. Perfect, just perfect, perfect size, size isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it had this slate grey sunburst dial, 
with mm. white Arabic numerals. Oh, yes, and gorgeous. you probably remember that one. I do one. remember it's hard that to one. Forget. It's hard to forget, yes. Um, and I think in the auction, it sold for 40,000 all in. So with buyer's premium. And then I saw it a couple of years later in 2020, and it sold for 60,000. And then just recently this year, 77,000. So it just keeps rising. Crazy. Yeah. So we know that there's been some adjustment for the Nautilus price market. It needed to adjust. Yes. But in your opinion, just in the current auctions that are going on, I mean, we've seen Nautiluses come up for sale in some of the most recent auctions yeah. and they're going to come up again Sure. in your next auctions, aren't they? Yes. Have you seen a change in prices? Yes, a little bit. I think during the pandemic, um, prices were just at another level. Uh, it was almost hard to comprehend and justify. Mm -hmm. Now they've certainly come down a little bit, but they're obviously still well over retail and hard to get. Hard to get. And the demand is still there. Well, listen, it's certainly been a very exciting time for collectors, that's for sure. So more recently in June 2022, Mm. you achieved a record-breaking auction result for a New York watch auction and you beat John, (laughs) which is quite an achievement from his own auctions that he held in New York. What were some of the most interesting watches from that sale? One of the things that made it so successful is that it housed the Kairos collection. So the Kairos collection was 128 modern Patek Philippe watches from one collector who had amassed this collection over 35 years. And I remember walking into his home Mm -hmm. and witnessing all 128 lined up like soldiers in their clamshells, pristine condition with their box and papers neatly tucked underneath. I mean, it's a dream for a (laughs) specialist to walk into that scenario because you know it's a mess. It's usually really not that easy. (laughs) Um, So that was fantastic. And some were never worn. And I just thought, wow, this is... This is something else. We obviously got the collection and we decided to execute it again through a few locations around the world. So I think we used three different cities, Geneva, Hong Kong and New York. Each had a very carefully selected number of watches for their auction and it was a wild success. And I think that was because not only was the breadth of the product so wonderful, but the condition was impeccable and we achieved record prices because of it. That's amazing. Let's talk about the upcoming auction season because you are going to be incredibly busy, aren't you? Now, yes. For the ne- until the end of the year, basically. <laughs> yes, yes, in the thick of it, definitely. You're right in, right the, thick in the thick of it. So there are stunning watches coming up this season for all the brands mm. across all the big auctions coming mm-hmm. up. Is, does anything stand out in particular to you? Well, I have to talk about my auction coming up, of That's course. That's fair enough. Um, You're allowed to. I'm so immersed in it right now because our catalogue is coming out mid-November. So we are really wrapping that up. And it does have a wide variety of brands. Of course, we have Patek Philippe, but we have a really amazing section of independent watchmakers. De Batoon, FP Journ, Urwerk, Gronfeld. I mean, it's really quite wonderful. And then on the Patek Philippe side, which I know you're most interested in. <laughs> Strange um, that. <laughs> we, have a, <laughs> we have a small single owner collection of Patek Philippe. And my favorite, and I won't tell you too much, but my favorite is a pocket watch, actually. Wonderful. Um, 
Yes, I'm loving seeing them come back a little bit more now. It's an open-faced pocket watch with a hinged case back, and it's from Patek's Rare Handcrafts collection. So, you know, that encompasses wood marquetry, enameling. This one in particular is um, engraving, and it's of an image of a very famous sculpture that was actually produced in 1895. Mm, Intriguing. Unique, never been seen before. And this is one you have to really see in person. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, so I hope you come to the exhibition. I will definitely come <laughs> to that. And I think that just for our listeners to know mm. that we, you can go to Christie's before an auction starts and actually see all the watches Yes, and touch them. Yes, them up. yes. We have something them. called Luxury Week, which takes place one week before the sale and you have on view all the watches in the auction as you have all the handbags and the jewellery and the wine. So all you the can best things. Come, yes. <laughs> you can come and try on. And I really do encourage clients to come and see them in person because you just can't see really the beauty without having them in your hand. Well, that's 100%. It's particularly for this piece that you've just been talking about. Yes. And I love the fact, A, it's a pocket watch because here at Collectability, we love pocket watches. <laughs> And we really feel very strongly that they are some of the most undervalued pieces of watchmaking. I couldn't today. agree more. And I just we just really encourage people to to pick up one and look at it. And you're just transformed immediately, aren't you, into another world? Yeah. And for you, with your history of art background, I'm sure looking at that in, engraved image must have just transported you. It's amazing. I'm just floored by what these artisans can do. I mean, it's really wonderful. Oh, gosh. Well, how exciting. So please, anyone in any of these countries that we're talking about where these big auctions are taking place, if you're nearby, go, please, and have a look (laughs) at these watches. So what are your predictions for the watch market, especially for us, it's the vintage watch market, obviously, but we're living in the most craziest, most unsettled times. And the last thing that most people want to think about is a watch because let's face it, it's a luxury and it's something we don't necessarily need. But what do you think? Where are we now? Yeah, there's still demand for watches, for vintage watches, but I'm seeing that there's sort of less frivolous spending and more attention to finding the right piece. My collectors are wanting the best example of the watch they're looking for. Right. You know, the best condition, which is very hard to find, especially for vintage pieces. But I'm seeing a lot more focus and a lot more dedication to finding the right one. That's good, because that's how it should be. Yes, yes. That people should be really looking for something that is special. Meaningful. I mean, the real treasure hunt. Right. We're all on a treasure hunt every day. Yes. But which brands do you think best weather the ups and downs of the market? I mean, surely it's the iconic brands. Patek Philippe, Rolex, Audemars Piguet. Their iconic models do weather quite well Mm -hmm. because they're always in demand Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. they're quite mainstream. Mm -hmm. I think the ones that probably don't weather so well are the newer watchmakers or the ones that are a little bit more on the periphery. Right, 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 right. Well, listeners, (laughs) heard it here. Just glad that we're all (laughs) Patek fans. (laughs) So, Rebecca, as we wrap up this part one of our little chat today, I would like to ask an important question, which is, where do you see the watch auction market going in the next five to 10 years? That's a really great question. Rebecca, I'm going to stop you right there because I'd like to start 
part two with your answer to that question. But I'm afraid we're going to have to ask everybody to wait for that. In the meantime, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes, including part two with Rebecca Ross. This is Tanya Edwards for Collectability. Mm-hmm.